Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Horror on the Orient Express, where we are setting our course finally for Constantinople today. But before we do, we have a few things we need to go through and uh, sort of propers to get out of the way before the show starts. And that is to thank you, the listener, and especially you, the Patreon supporter. So many new and wonderful people who are supporting our patron now. We greatly appreciate your listening ears. If you'd like to check us out on YouTube, you can just type in the Old Ways Podcast to YouTube. You'll find our channel. Go ahead and give it a like and a subscribe. And make sure that you stay subscribed for all of our wonderful video fun, including some new stuff from Delta Green and giveaways, it seems, are taking over the latter half of 2023 for us. And now we'll go ahead and get to those introductions. We'll begin to my right. Hello, this is Mike, and I play James Robert Fraser. And uh, I've been feeling a bit under the weather. Been a little sleepy. That's okay. You're back, rested, healed up, and with um, virtually no memories of uh, being in jail. To Mr. Fraser's right. Hi, this is Rena. I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, and I'm channeling Florence Nightingale today. Interesting. I look forward to see how that works out at the end of the table. Hi, this is Giles, and I'm playing Simon Griffith. And today I'm playing the part of a sack of potatoes. Uh, I do like potatoes. And to Mr. Griffiths, right? Hi, this is Miranda, and I play Maggie Bellinger. And I think that conjugal visit from Paul may have been the most productive one I've ever had. Well, listen, uh, Paul is is soon to be a doctor. He knows a lot about the body, including yours, uh, Miss Bellinger, it seems. And um, can't harm a guy for trying, right? We are in the missing Professor Gortney formation. Sadly, the professor isn't with us at the moment, but I'm sure that he'll be with us again very soon. So before we lift the formal curtain on this, we have a few things to get out of the way. And that is important things to deal with as far as the characters are concerned. And so we're going to loop right back around and we're going to pay a, pay a special visit to one James Robert Fraser as played by Mike. And he is going to give us two, not just one, but two luck refresh rolls. Okay, my luck's 33 just now. And that is a fail. Good. This is traditionally the only time you want to fail, so we will give you 14 more points of luck for that refresh, the one you missed last session. And now you're getting one this session, so go ahead and make that. Well, I shall just add 14 to 33. I make that 47 luck I've got now. Plenty more than enough. And that is also a fail of 76. Oh, that's pretty good. So that is 17 more points of luck for you. Crikey, thank you very much indeed. Don't thank me. Thank my railroad dice, my Horror on the Orient Express railroad dice, which are going to be used for the rest of the campaign. So since you didn't get an opportunity when we did investigator improvements last week, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to begin your own investigator improvement. 
and just go through your skills. Okie dokie. I've got a few of these to go through. We'll start with climb. And that's a fail. A climb of 20. All right. So that is nine more points of climb. Excellent. I don't know if I'll be doing any climbing in the near future. I'm still not feeling 100%, but there we are. My fighting brawl at 46. And that's a success. 44. That's a shame. Never mind. Uh, my firearms rifle slash shotgun at 72. That is a success on that. First aid at 57. It's a zero two. Ooh. Listen at 60. That's a two zero. Natural world at 34. And that's an 87. Oh, finally. And that is eight more points to natural world. Fantastic. Psychology, 63. And that's a success, 55. Spot hidden, 86. Oh, I wrote 85. Oh, that's so tough. That's a, that's a skill that probably would have gone over 92. I know, that would have been lovely. That would have been lovely. But hey-ho, hey-ho. Track at 10. 100. 10 points. That's what I wanted for the last one. And finally, botany at 31. And that's a 13. Wow. Okay, that's all my good rolls for the day out of the way. Yep, fantastic. Okay, so now if we can just continue on with... Lady Elizabeth, as played by Rena, who give us a luck roll. My luck is currently 16. 87. Okay. So that is 14 points of luck to you. Ooh, I'm exactly at 30 now. For now. Giles, for Simon, if you'd give us a luck roll. Well, unfortunately for once, with my 54 luck, I rolled a 27. Oh, you still get some. It's okay. Seven more points. I can use it. Yes. And Miss Bellinger. Is this a regular luck roll or one with disadvantage? Mm, this is a regular luck roll. I would not put you at disadvantage for your own luck rolls before the game starts. Yet. Well, that's fine. I rolled a 12, so I passed. That's okay. You still get luck, too. You get nine more points of it. Heck yeah. So with all of that out of the way... We will do a little bit of what we call a level set, a scene setter for everybody. So early in the morning, yesterday morning, you all arrived at a safe house in Adirna after having been assisted in your case for freedom by Simon's friend, Major Pierce, who came and assisted you with getting not only a safe house, but resecuring most of the luggage that he could find, he and his group who ended up assisting, as I said, in getting you out of jail in somewhat a rather grisly fashion, but effective nonetheless. You were afforded an opportunity to get all of your things. You were, except a couple of you were maybe missing some clothing items at this point. That said, the device has been resecured, as has the steamer trunk that has a bunch of body parts in it. And... Other than that, 
the plan for you has been made very clear moving forward. Pierce has secured you an automobile, one that can take a couple of steamer trunks with it and your party to make the last journey by road rather than train. As the Orient Express, at least the cars that you have traveled here on, are still in police custody because of the fire, because of the riot that evidently happened afterwards when they were trying to arrest scores of people. And with you having broken out of jail and clearly the law law enforcement looking for people such as yourselves, you would need new passports, which have been afforded to you. There was also a little clarity given to Mr. Griffith about what Mrs. Griffith may or may not have done in the name of all the governments that are interested in seeing this problem go away. It's clear that she was playing as a rogue agent. She made a call. She decided to have the professor dealt with. It was a call that Pierce disagreed with her on. He's told you that he has a man waiting for you at a safe house in Constantinople. You have the address of said house. And it's understood that this man knows several different languages and may be able to assist you with translating certain things. You have been afforded a night's rest here, and it's that sort of morning that you're waking up to. We'll look in first on Miss Bellinger, who has probably spent most of the last night recovering and sleeping in a, well, in something that is close to a bed. The bedrooms here are a little packed right now with different people. Clearly, Lady Elizabeth would have her own bedroom. And Fraser is sleeping in the other one. But the couches here are reasonable enough to sleep on. It's where the professor's sleeping. It's where Simon is resting. If he's not resting, like, in an armchair somewhere. Mm-hmm. But you wake up with a strange voice in your head. Is it a voice I recognize? Not readily. It's a male voice but is one that you recognize readily. And you wake to the voice saying, you're almost there. You just have to keep going. I, I know, I'm trying. I, I feel like Maggie would not sleep well because if I remember correctly, when I was imprisoned, there was a distinct lack of connection between me and some body parts. Yeah which I find very bothersome. Yeah, it's interesting. You're you're growing and learning the differences between the energy. Your connection to the comp has been severed. At least that's what it feels like. But even after that washed away and was gone, the the loss of the, the distance placed between you and the simulacrum pieces hurts. You don't like to be apart from them physically. It's a longing pain. Amongst all the other pains that your body is going through, I think that the easiest thing I can equate it to is probably something like fibromyalgia in the sense where all of your joints hurt and sometimes they don't hurt all the time, but some of them hurt all the time anyway. And you can have flare-ups throughout the day that are uncontrollable. And you just said that you either have to work through it or you have to stop and wait until it passes. But whatever it is, it feels inside like there is a climax point coming for this 
these pieces and you. There's something you're going to have to do. And you know the voice is right when it says you have to keep going. Am I able then to re-tether myself to these, essentially, as, as I understand it? You, you think you probably could, but you would need something to, to focus that energy. Mm-hmm. And there really isn't anything that you can readily think of, at least in the first moments of consciousness, that like, are going to be able to reconnect you. You could take them out and you could put them on your body, and that has helped in the past a little bit, but the, the magics that made these simulacrum pieces are ancient. You would equally need something that is ancient to do so. I have a crazy idea. I like this. Because I have a ritual dagger, and I think maybe I need to share more of myself. Like you said, I've put these on before, but there's there, there's never been a real connection. It's just like flesh barrier between me and the thing. So I wonder if possibly like I take one, maybe the arm first, the first piece that I found, obviously my favorite, and I use the dagger to cut open my arm and as it's seeping blood take the sim the simulacrum piece and then lay it on my arm so that there's more of a direct bodily connection my skin is no longer separating me from the piece okay i love this idea for you thanks can you tell me where you will perform this at I don't know because like you like you said, I don't have a bedroom to myself. I wonder if I could talk Fraser out of his bedroom. I probably could because I'm a lady. But my other thought was just to go like, is there a restroom? Is there a bathroom in this place? Yes, there is what we would call a WC or a loo. Oh, perfect. I would go there. I, it's easy cleanup. I don't want them to know and worry because they've been very weird lately about things. And so I wouldn't necessarily want them to know that this was happening and that I, they were very weird about the professor experimenting with his device. And I don't want them to be weird about me ex experimenting with my devices either. Okay. Fair enough. So you go into the bedroom with the arm that you found in Poissy and you do a little bloodletting. Are you going to use the dagger that you have? Yeah. Obviously, the old dirty dagger that I found underground, that one. You're such a joy to have at the table. <laughs> Here's what I'd like you to do. I would like you to roll pow for me. Okay. It is a hard difficulty. Mm -hmm. Because if, if what you are going for is, we'll just say, a deeper connection... And you are trying to channel your your essence or some of your connection to this piece. We'll see how that works. Okay. Um, so my disadvantage put me at 78 over 75. I'm going to waive the disadvantage for this specific role. Then it was a, would have been a 28. Okay. So you're absolutely able to connect with it. So I'm going to have you roll a D8. Okay. And let me know what you get. Six. Very good. Deduct six points of MP. Okay. 
You feel your inner energy and essence move. It is unlike any feeling you have had personally because it is such a an expulsion of joy, pleasure, ecstasy. There's a ton of really good feeling that comes out of your body. This is in stark contrast to all of the joint pain and coughing and chest pressure and just the constant run-up of anxiety every time you begin to think about what you're supposed to do next. This is a complete cutoff from that. It is like someone closes a door to all of that pain and anxiety and lets you enjoy your own personal life energy. And there's a little bit of a glow to that knife after you are done. You have spilled blood all over the sink in here. When you look down, you, you realize you're you're losing an awful lot of blood. Yeah, I would bask in this feeling for some time. And I, I feel like that's why there's blood everywhere. Now, I've just been basking as blood has been running down my arm. And now it's it's in amount <laughs> that is difficult to cover up. There, There's a fair amount of, we'll just say, not only arteries in the veins, but obviously a, a fair amount of uh, large veins in the forearm that while you don't necessarily damage them beyond the point of damage that you take, there's an awful lot of blood in your body. Uh, except now there's a lot less in it because it's now all over the floor. Oh, I'm just thinking like this moment I came in here so that it would be less noticeable. I've I've spent way too much time enjoying this and a moment of panic sets in uh, because ever, everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to know what you're doing in here. And so I would maybe rip a piece of cloth. If there's if there is like a towel or cloth or anything in here, I might use that. If not, I'll like rip a piece of skirt uh, so that I can wrap my arm up to try to stop the bleeding. Yeah, you are able to get your arm bandaged. You have enough first aid to, to bandage your own arm. That's not terribly hard. Um, you have to rip your skirt because there really isn't a ton of bath cloth options for you out here. And when you rip your skirt and you cinch up that wound so that way it doesn't seep and, and gives you a good tight bond over it that tie it off nice and, and tight as probably with your teeth, you realize that your clothing steamer trunk never made it from jail, which means you don't have any clean clothes to change into and you're covered in blood now. Yep. So I'll leave you there. Lady Elizabeth, you spend the night taking the vigil for Mr. Fraser, who came in with with Paul's assistance and with Pierce's assistance uh, to try to get this whole situation better under control. You you stand vigil for him, mostly sit, of course, too, because, well, you can't leave a lady standing all night. But he begins to come, too. You can see him start finally sort of not being restless in bed, but but beginning to, to move now as the um, first slight tint of sun begins to break through some of the covered windows here. Slowly, kind of eyes flicker open and squint a little at the, the sunlight coming in and take in the room and see her ladyship sitting beside me. Lady Elizabeth, uh, where, 
Where are we? You're awake. Oh. Oh, of a sort. I didn't know if you would. Oh, that was a bad business. Where are, where are we? Uh, well, what I believe is referred to as a safe house. You've been mostly unconscious for about a week, Fraser. A, a week? God. I, last thing I remember clearly is on being on the train and the fire and him. You passed out after we took care of him. But uh, let's just say we can all add uh, Jailbird to our list of accomplishments. Jailbird? I, I, I don't understand. The authorities seem to think we all had something to do with it for some strange reason. Kind of tries to sit up and then winces in pain. Don't move. Is he... Is it dead? Extremely. Oh, oh, thank God. I'm glad you're awake. I so am I. <laughs> I've had such dreams. We're supposed to be leaving soon for Constantinople. Where, where are we now? Are we... Are we still in Sofia? Uh, no, we left, remember? The whole thing on the train. Where are we? Adirna. It's where the train stopped. We're not going to be able to rejoin the train. We have a car. We have uh, false passports. You're going to have to learn a different method of address for me, Fraser. For a while. Can you handle that? I, 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 I can, I can handle that. What, what are our, what are our names to be now? We'll see. I haven't looked yet. I've been rather busy. A week, you say? Hmm. And and where is, I, I don't know, Adirna, is, are, are, we, are we near Constantinople, are we? It'll be a bit of a drive, but we can manage. We'll have to leave soon. We have a car. I, I... A friend of Mr. Griffith has provided some assistance. Are, are the police still looking for us? You said we had to break out. <laughs> oh, yes, I would assume so. We rather staged a jailbreak. <laughs> Sounds like I've missed a lot. You have, but we have the pieces. I have my book. We'll manage. The book, the book. Have you have, have you been able to make any sense out of it? I believe so. We know what to do, where, where to go. Is my head still fuzzy? We're going to Constantinople. We have a mosque to find. I have to make sure it's the right place. And then we need to end this. Oh, I, I have to destroy the thing. Yes, as quickly as possible. Are, 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 are the others, are, are they all right? Miss Ballinger and Simon and, and Professor. Paul, is Paul all right? They're here. Paul's, Paul's been most invaluable. But uh, Simon took rather a beating, I'm afraid. But uh, he's here at least. If it wasn't for Paul, we'd all be dead. Yes. Brave man. Are you, are you, are you all right, your leadership? Well, it was a rather uncomfortable experience, but I'm quite as all right as still recovering can be. Don't worry about me. Focus on yourself. I've had such dreams. I dreamt I was back in France, 
So faces, faces I've not seen in a long time. Faces that aren't with us anymore. Understandably, but you rest as long as you can while we prepare. I'll let the others know you're awake. Paul can see if you're fit to travel. I, I'm, I'm feeling a, a wee bit stronger now. Whatever it was that thing did to me, it's, it seems to be seems to be fading away. Feeling myself a wee bit now. I'll send Paul in. I'm going to lean down and actually grasp your hand in both hands. Don't scare me like that again. <sighs> I'll try not to, your ladyship. You are the only person I trust in this whole world, Fraser. Please be careful. I will. I will, but it's a bad business we're in, your ladyship, and but I'll be careful. I don't believe that for a second. And just sort of a half smile, and I'll get up and uh, go find Paul to send him in to check on, on Fraser. You be careful too. Am I ever not? <laughs> Paul will come in and attend to you, Fraser. He keeps his dialogue fairly short. He does update you that evidently Mr. Griffith's boss, he seems to sort of make that even a questioning statement, helped assist the group in getting out through a rather grisly means, but effective nonetheless. Grisly means? Uh, who do you mean? Major Pierce and the people he brought with swept through the jail and shot every guard they had eyes to find to get us out. Oh, dear God. Who is this man, I don't know, but he's afforded us a method of travel. We should get you on your feet. I, 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 I think I can, I'll take it easy, but I think, I think I can stand. Paul, what you did, what you did back there, what you risked, we owe you our lives, Paul. I, I just want you to know that. I know. If you ever need anything, you just say the word. What I need most right now is for you to be Strong enough to deal with Miss Mellinger's driving. I was born strong. He got to be strong to survive and leave. <laughs> Good. Now, just so you're aware, some of the um, some of the party do not have their personal effects. Lady Elizabeth was able to get out with her cane and a few other important items, the book, etc. But her steamer trunk with her clothes is not are not here. Nor does Miss Bellinger have her personal steamer trunk we were able to secure the simulacrum pieces and um, it seems the major made a point of making sure simon had his steamer trunk i can only imagine the things that might be in it but we only have so much room so we'll we'll have to shed what we don't what, what we can't get in the car it's a hundred miles from here to constantinople and we need to get out of adirna before well, before the, the the authorities locate us. Right, well, I'll uh, better see about getting up and having a wee cup of tea then, I suppose. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll leave you to it. Aye, thank you, Paul. Thank you. Simon, the, uh, the morning for you, as it begins eventually, is accented by the closing of the bathroom door. Someone was in the bathroom. You're not sure who. There was water running in there for a considerable amount of time. And then the door shuts and someone walks to one of the bedrooms and the door shutting is what opens your eyes. Simon's going to go ahead and wake up 
and he is going to pull on his suspenders and peek his head outside the door into the hallway. You don't see anybody in the hallway. You can see that the light, the sunlight is naturally starting to come through some of the windows here. A few moments tick by and Paul steps into the main room, which is actually where you're sleeping at. You're not actually in your own room because there's only two bedrooms here in this place. Morning, Paul. How's everybody doing? Good. He sort of stops there in the central space in the hallway between where you're sleeping or we're sleeping on in the chair and the hallways where the bathroom is. He stops for a second. That's strange. What's strange? <sighs> I don't know. I thought I smelled blood. We need to be going as soon as we can. Understood. I'm not in much shape to help out at this point. I can lug some stuff around, but I gotta watch myself. I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. You and uh, Mr. Fraser are probably not in the best of conditions, so it will be, uh, it'll be on us. We'll just say the fairer of the sexes, he smiles, to deal with things. But um, have yourself some coffee or something to drink and get ready to get in the car. I'm certain that um, Miss Village's driving will wake us all up. All right, I'm going to hit the head and then I'll go ahead and uh, make sure I'm all packed. Wonderful. So with little fanfare, Miss Bellinger, you were able to get things cleaned up. The skirt length you have is likely not, we'll say, proper anymore. You can make it work, you hope. Salaciously. Well, yeah. I mean, you could probably try to turn it around a little bit, especially given the fact that you're going into Turkey. Mm. Good point. So you might be able to rifle through the house to try to find extra clothing here. Mm-hmm. Up to you. Yeah. I would... Maybe I could pull it down a little bit and then wear, see if I can get something longer on top. That is, that's one idea. Yeah. I'll do my best to not be too tempting in Turkey. You don't want to do that. So the group then will will move towards the automobile, which actually is a smashing-looking car in blue. This is a Packard that has been made available. Now, it's not new by any means, but given the current age, you wouldn't really know a ton of the difference between new and, and used. Um, it does appear that it will seat six people, although somewhat in a strange way. There's two seats up front, and then there are there is space for four in the back, three along sort of this cushiony black leather bench that sits in back. And then the fourth spot in back is a little tiny chair that is sort of screwed into the wall of the car. It looks like it's supposed to be a kid's seat or maybe someplace where you might put um, a grandmother or something like that, a a smaller sort of person. But you're all also... um, acknowledge uh, have to acknowledge the fact that uh, it seems that the the professor is ailing a bit today so paul decides that professor courtney can take the small chair he'll pack in him with some additional steamer trunks before you make your way onto the roads as for your own seating within the vehicle i'll leave that to you assuming that miss bellinger is driving i will gladly drive i'm sure it will be advantageous for all of us so the route itself through uh, up along the Bosphorus here from Edirne 
And it goes to, it looks like there are maybe at least three cities, if not four, before you reach Constantinople. The road to the city is fairly well made, given the age. And that's mostly because, for those of you playing at home, the uh, Greco-Turkish War, the large majority of it took place in these lands. And so getting supplies and troops where they needed to be would require a reasonable road. But that said, it will take you quite a few hours to get there. So just by my own judgment here, I'm going to say, given the route and the time, uh, it is probably about 120 miles, give or take. The top speed of this Packard is probably between 30 and 40 miles an hour, give or take. I'll offer to share the driving with Margaret. I'm an excellent driver. Margaret, how formal. Oh, that's a very good point, actually. When we look at our passports, what are our new names? Oh, this is the best part. So I'm going to allow you, the players, to come up with your own names. The name on my passport is Frederick Bolton. Anne Barnett is mine. Uh, Lewis Castle. All right. I will be playing Bernice Wells. So um, the professor will now be uh, Fabiano Toscano. Uh, And Paul tells you that he's going to take a French name because he speaks French. He is going to be Leonard Bellamy. Given that Richard has got a very Italian name, I'm expecting him to be uh, fluent in Italian whilst he's under this assumed identity. All right. It's a couple hundred kilometers to Constantinople. The professor is is sick. The packard is packed. It's um, not dark anymore and no one here is wearing sunglasses. And so you're off. You leave Adirna behind and try not to think about the cost that was spent at getting you out of jail. The road ahead is rather interesting. There's more car traffic than you were imagining, but after a while you begin to get the idea of how heavy a trade port this place really is. The road itself is tirelessly long in a real way. Uh, It's mostly grasslands around you. There are some slight hills as you move closer and closer to that place that you've been desperate to get to ever since this started. Between the Black Sea and the Aegean Sea, this small strip of landscape that runs between the two, where for hundreds of years, a contest between two rival nations, two rival religions has played out over and over again. And with the Greco-Turkish War being over and Mustafa Kemal now being in charge of what is a new nation in Turkey, it's clear that some of his reforms are beginning to take root. He seeks to modernize Turkey. So he seeks to bring about a revolution in thought. One of the first things that he really presses for is moving sort of where business, the business the government's done at. And it's also clear in the recent newspapers that you would be made, uh, would be available to you that he also is seeking to change the name 
of the city. He no longer wants it to be called Constantinople because he calls it a name given to the city by the Greeks. And the city should be called Istanbul, he says, and he is going to make it so. So I won't require any um, immediate role from you, Miss Bellinger, for Drive Auto, but I am going to require a, a different series of roles. So I would like you to make me an intelligence role. We'll say for your um, act of bloodletting this morning, for the next 12 hours, you are not at disadvantage. How incentivized I am now. Keeper wouldn't be terrible enough to do that, would he? Uh, That's three under uh, 70, by the way. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, So that does not affect you, which is good. And then... As you're continuing to drive, Miss Bellinger, you're you're overcome with this sense of totality. And the closer and closer you get to the city, you can feel the presence of the pieces behind you locked in that steamer trunk. It sits right behind the driver's seat here. You feel a warmth coming from them. I would just say it is right for you and them to be here. It almost feels like being Santa Claus and bringing a bag of presents with you to someone's house. And now you just need to know where you're supposed to bring them. That's the next step. For the rest of you, the ride is fairly, um, well, boring. There's not a whole lot to look at. It does afford you, I would say, Lady Elizabeth does afford you several hours where you could be reading, if that is something that you choose to do. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. I'll offer to uh, take over driving for periods of time from uh, from Maggie, just to allow her a bit of a break, a bit of a rest while we drive, because I imagine this is going to take quite a number of hours. You would probably notice during that time when you when you make your offer to to help, you know, shoulder the burden of driving. Now that you're awake and you you actually begin to feel have begun to feel better, Miss Bellinger's arms bandaged right about here at the forearm. I think I probably don't really question that because I've been out of it for a week and I don't know what's happened during that week so I just kind of assume that you know I, I know Simon's got a bit battered as well so I just assume that during the course of either uh, our adventures on the train or our adventures off the train she's uh, injured her arm so I don't think I really make anything of that okay for you Lady Elizabeth what what are you studying I keep studying my ritual to I reviewed it as much as I could without the book, like processing it in jail. But now I want to go back over it, make sure that I remembered it correctly, and just be really, really certain in how to do this now that we're getting closer and closer to Constantinople. Okay. That sounds good to me. Got to make sure I get it right. Yep. So I'm going to treat this like a regular skim of the tome. And sort of those same regular rules that I tend to use. So the first thing you'll do is you'll make me a hard intelligence roll. No, that's a fail. <laughs> 93 over 65. I am going to make that a success through the hand of fate. Thank you, Patreon. You can thank them. Of course, they, by the time they hear this, all of the it'll all be behind us. But you should thank them nonetheless. So you sit down for that ritual 
plumbing through the tome to find all of their answers. And you begin to read the ritual of ending. That's what it's called. The ritual of ending. Seems very strange. But the ceremony is fairly ghastly. So it says here in your book that when you perform this ritual, this ceremony is supposed to end the person who has the simulacrum pieces. It ends their physical form and supplants it with the pieces of the simulacrum. In the text here, it references a separate incantation that's to be used before this ritual. And so you take a little time while you have it to cross-reference a couple of these different rituals. You've read about this one before. This would be the skin of the Sedekfar. So this is a spell that you have already learned previously. And it basically shrouds you in protection like the simulacrum would give you. And the idea is, at least from this ghastly incantation that they're talking about, this more major one, that the whole point of, of casting the skin of Sedekfar is to protect you from dying during the actual rollout of the real ritual where you take the pieces on. Because, of course, this ritual where you where you take the pieces on, you are with, it says, a especially, especially crafted knife are to slice off in long strips pieces of your own skin. And so you're to cut them off in long strands and place them in a ritual fire, dedicating them to this skinless God. And the incantation is long. It is arduous. It's horrific. It calls on entities that you're not familiar with to come and watch as you take on this power that is being transferred by the skinless one to you. And the pictures alone are gut-turning. They're very much done in a, a much older style of artwork. It's called back to artists from hundreds of years ago. But the trip there, if spent in arduous study, is you learning the two halves to this ritual. So your book the book collected by your father, the book helped transfer some of that information by your mother, is really where you get the unraveling ending portion of this ritual, deep in those pages. It is written in an, a much older form of Arabic, one that you struggled to piece together. The words that you can get uh, will require a hard occult role for you to understand. Okay. That's a 36 under 73. Yep. That's a hard success. So you know that you'll need several hours to actually fully get the translation done. This is sort of you understanding the depth and breadth of what would need to be translated. Uh, so now you know. Uh, and in knowing that, you realize that uh, it'll likely take that person probably at least a day or so, if not more to completely translate the ritual. But the the ending of it is gives you hope. That is the thing which you cling on to. 
because it is clear that if you are to do this multiple round chant, it looks like the chant could go several minutes, if not more, uh, and it will require five people. But that pales in comparison to the amount of people that are required to do the sort of, we would just say the the arming of the Sedekfar. So if you were to choose the other path, which is to carry it onto yourself, there is a required sacrifice. So the text here says in sort of the nastiest, bloodiest terms um, that you, after peeling away your skin, would use that same ritual knife to slit the throats of 20 souls in order to fill the rest of the cauldron with fresh, warm blood. And then you're to bathe in it. And after that, you will be sufficiently blessed and prepared to put on the Sedekfar. That's lovely. And now you're going to roll sanity for me. I thought so. Now it's just not come without a price. 76 over 61. That's a fail. Yes, it is. Okay, very good. Um, you will be losing 10 points of sanity. Jesus. He can't help you. Uh, he, yeah, lady, you wouldn't want him to anyway. So that would mean then that you're going to need to clearly make an intelligence roll versus about. I'm very smart. You are. Oh, uh, that's past 55. You bet it is. Okay. So we'll just have a good old bout of madness while we drive through the... And see, now Miss Bellinger might be able to make that drive auto roll. I mean, I think that's just, it's worth the price of admission, isn't it? It will be a real-time bout of madness. Congratulations. You sort of become engrossed in this book as the hours tick by. The different stops for petrol. Simon's constant need to go to the bathroom. All sorts of fun things that happen on road trips. Maggie is talking about the travel guide, probably lamenting her lack of a camera now. All of that really just fades away. And you sort of become entranced by the idea that these different people, these people who made this spell, they must have been fantastic in their own right. Yes, it's horrible. Yes, it's terrible. But it's really just a different way of working with mystical arts and one might call that witchcraft. One might call that religion. And you sort of become a little obsessed about witchcraft, the occult. Not learned, right? Not the way you normally give that sort of educated and imperious view on things. This is more... Um, it's more manic than that. This is like an overriding feeling and need to think about it and talk about it and engage other people with it. You become very much terribly obsessed with witchcraft and proving that it is real and proving that witches exist, the good witches and the bad witches and all the witches in between. Since um, you won't be deducting any of the sanity through the luck rules that you can use now, we'll say that you take 10 points of sanity from your loss. You have an immediate bout and I set you loose like a spinning top 
talking all about witchcraft and witches. So continue play. Who else is in the back seat with me? Um, so Mr. Fraser and Simon um, and technically Paul. Simon just kind of poking him. What? I, I'm asleep and what? You've mentioned things like hates and so on before, yes? You believe in that sort of thing? Yes, I'm um, all about hates and spirits and strange things in the hollers. Do you believe in witches, Simon? Are, are witches one of the strange things that you believe in? Of course. There's all kinds of witches in the woods. Oh, all kinds. Do tell. See, there, there's quite a quite an interesting variety in, in Europe, the, the European variety, but I'm very curious about your uh, American ones. Well, well, there's there's water witches. Um, they're they're kind of divining witches, and... Um, you know, that they have them dowsing rods. And let's see, uh, there's uh, witches of the harvest. Those are like your grannies. And, you know, they're often relatives and they just know more than you do. And sometimes they have special knowledge that they pass down from one to another. But I, I'm, as, as you can tell, I, I'm one of the men, so... Uh, I, I was not privy to all that. It, it's kind of a matriarchal thing. I'm scribbling everything down, like manically, just writing super fast on any scrap of paper I have. And, and I'm not familiar with the, the witches of um, New England, but uh, I understand there's books on that stuff. Oh, yes, of course. So there will be books, yes, but I'm more interested right now in the, the lived experience sort of thing. You don't cross witches? What, what does that mean? Do, with with a literal cross or walk in front of them? Well, I wouldn't recommend doing those either. But well, you, you remember what happened back there in, uh, well, in, in, in Yugoslavia? A lot happened. You'll have to be more specific. Oh, do you mean grandmother? Yes. Oh, there's nothing wrong with her. Uh, we would call her a witch where I'm from. Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. And just sort of start beaming. Like, that, that that's my grandmother, yes. Hmm, witches, yes. You remember I just said about grannies? Yeah, that would be your granny. Same thing. Yes. Hmm. What, what about your, your Salem witch trials? I've, he I've heard a good bit about that. I'm just going to keep scribbling away and muttering under my breath little things that I've heard. <laughs> little things that I know. Not something I know about. That's something you need to get those books for. What good are you then? I was hoping you'd know a good bit more. Oh, men. I I'm sorry. I told you it was matriarchal. There were, you know, all the men are told is to go out and get the stuff that the women want. We're not supposed to ask questions. Of course, as is only natural. If you really want to, I, I suppose I could always introduce you to Granny. She might be able to tell you some stuff. If we get out of this, the more witches, the better. If you know any more beyond Granny. Granny, that's a strange word. I'll have to remember that one. I think um, Fraser's kind of not sleeping at this point of the journey. He's going to kind of be aware of this rather excited conversation uh, going on in the seat beside him. And uh, if Paul's awake, you'll probably kind of glance sidelong at him with that is she all right? Look to him. 
I think Paul probably returns the look to you and, and very carefully shakes his head no very slowly. Now, now, Simon. Simon, you, you're, you're a, a very present sort of person. You must know something. I, I know you go and fetch things. What sort of things would you fetch? It must be for, for magic and workings and things of that nature. What did you fetch? Come on, don't be, don't be shy. I just want to know. Well, spring water. Spring water. And herbs and, and roots and stuff. I mean, it would depend on what they wanted. And sometimes it was for what they were doing. And sometimes it might just be for cooking. Cooking magic. Fascinating. I suppose you could call cooking magic, yeah, if it's done right. Jim, would you agree with that? Um, uh, cooking magic? Um, uh, I, I really couldn't say. What well, I meant, you could find some cooking to be quite magical, don't you think? I, uh, uh, I well, um, uh, yes, indeed, some, some things I've eaten have been very tasty, yes. I've already moved on to thinking, like, writing down what sort of magic you could do with food, because I'm convinced that if these witches were cooking, obviously there has to be a reason for it. You don't just do working with food, so... Certainly, certainly. And the book you just got done reading before you were doing this did talk about a cauldron pot. Uh, now, some of the ingredients may have been a little personal, but, but the theory, the idea, the focusing is also the same. And you, you're starting to feel your, your, your chest sort of palpitate a little bit, like you're, you're really getting excited. And, and I remember the encounter we had with the cauldron as well, with the, the stew in it that the professor, I, th I believe, stopped me from eating. And now I'm upset with the professor because who knows what kind of magic that would have been. Hit the professor on the back of the head with my pen. Just in annoyance, don't even notice I'm doing it. Yeah, he probably just sort of groans a little and then flips over to the other side. Maggie, I would like you, before we get to Constantinople, like just give me a single drive roll for this time. Okay. That is a 46 under 54. So you, between you and, of course, Mr. Fraser taking turns, you do end up getting to Constantinople, or we'll just say the outskirts of it. You can begin to see the, the city uh, as it looms here now in, in the short distance. And that's good because it has taken you a very long time to get here. Simon, you um, remember that you have a, some address work from the major here to tell you where to go when you get there. Did Simon have it written down or was it related to him? Um, you have a note that was left by Pierce that has it uh, has the information on it. And Professor's in the front seat with Miss Maggie? He is. He absolutely is. Is he awake? He is not. Uh, Miss Maggie, you might need to pull over. I've got the directions right here and the Professor's out of it. And I don't like to be a backseat driver. Not much that I drive much anyway. We don't have much much time, Simon. We've spent so much time anyways. Can't you, what do you, you have the directions. Can't you just tell me which way to go? Just climb up here if you need to. We'll just shove Richard in the back. All right. Simon just leans over and is like, you know, talking into Maggie's ear. You're leaned over talking to her ear. You, you get to the, um, the proper outskirts of Constantinople. You can see in the distance all of these beautiful historic buildings. 
and monuments. Obviously, the Hippodrome is here. The rail station is not terribly far as you drive in, and you you think to yourself, well, you're still aboard the train. It's right there. Like, it's, it's right there. But that said, there is a feeling that you get entering the city as you drive in. 2,000 miles between you and England have passed. Probably more with all of the different side adventures the group has taken. But after so many, many days and weeks, and now even months, the group arrives in Constantinople. And Miss Bellinger, I'm going to have you make me a hard power roll. Fantastic. Has time passed significantly so that I'm at a disadvantage or am I still riding high off my blood? No, you're, you're still at the moment riding high. This will probably be your last roll uh, with such a gift. Ooh, that is a 37 under 75. So I believe that's hard. That is a hard success. Um, you feel for a moment your entire body lock up as you pass through the entranceway into Constantinople. Every muscle in your back, in your arms, your legs, everything seizes. The car lurches forward as your foot hammers down on the accelerating pedal. And you sit, stand up almost as rigid as you possibly can as this, for a moment, this feeling comes over your body. You are able to recover a few seconds later after some concern and voices of concern. Paul and some of the other folks clearly are are a little worried about what's gone on. But what you feel when this seizing happens is it's almost as if a massive hand tried to grab your entire body and clench it closed. And that's where I'll leave you all for this episode of Horror on the Orient Express. We greatly appreciate your listening ears. And next episode, we'll pick up in Constantinople. Thank you and good night. <laughs>